if you're, you're part of our church and if you're on the, uh, if we have your contact details and we uh, text you, you know that I sent out a text to explain that we were going to begin a series, a short series, on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I sent a text out that said something to the words of the effect that, are you depressed? Are you feeling uh, pessimistic at the moment? And on Friday, Ian said to me, we had a meeting as we do on a Friday morning, and Ian said, when I first saw those few lines, I thought it was just to me. <laughs> and he said, and the second thing I thought was, how does he know? <laughs> um, uh, we, for this series, while we're doing Ecclesiastes, we're going to take the opportunity of a quarter to ten for half an hour just uh, have a chance to, to do a little bit more reflection on the book. And uh, this morning we met in the, in the, in the small room uh, just to talk about uh, the preparation as, as we were engaging with the book. And Val was there, and Val said that yesterday the, the Jehovah's Witness uh, neighbor of hers uh, was talking to her and, and asking about how church was going. And Val said to him or her, um, oh, we're going to do an, a series on Ecclesiastes next. And the Jehovah's Witness said, God help you. <laughs> Which is a prayer I've prayed often in preparing for this series. Ecclesiastes, and, and it, it's kind of like it's almost become, you know, it's, it's the initial response that everybody's given is, uh. because Ecclesiastes is really interesting. I mean, really interesting. I think it's really interesting that's in the Bible at all. And if you ever have wondered, and um, you know, I know that you know, sometimes people think, well, why, why is that in? Um, you wouldn't be alone. Actually, theologians down the ages and writers have actually said, we're not sure why this is here at all. It doesn't feel like the sort of thing that should be in the Bible. And I think the reason they say that is because it feels too, well, what's the word? People can't work out if it's just pessimistic, or whether it's uh, cynical, or whether it's just sort of like, just a little downbeat. I'm going to read the first two chapters in a moment, and, uh, but as we do, there are two words, or, or one word and one phrase, that keep coming back, and I just want to talk about these words first. The first word is this word, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It actually is a word that is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like the one, you would be really thick not to get, that actually the author wants you to get hold of this thing, that this is the wrestling he's doing with the world around him. That everything seems to have no point. And uh, if you've got, if you've, if you've found Ecclesiastes now in, in a Bible, and I do urge you to use a Bible, and if you're not sure where it is, if you sort of go to the Old Testament and open it in the middle, you'll get to Psalms, and then you just keep moving forward, you get to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And if you go and you find yourself in the Song of Songs, you're too far. A bit more fun, but it's too far. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. And it's how the book begins. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then flick forward to uh, chapter 12, the end of that little book, verse 8. And the writer's gone through the whole of his arguments. And what does he say at the end of it? 
meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. It's kind of like a bracket, okay, that begins the book and ends the book. Everything is just pointless. Now you're beginning to understand why people are going, I'm not sure this should be in the Bible. That word, meaningless, um, can mean any of those sort of words. It's, it's like one of these Hebrew words that's got lots of different meanings. Uh, wind, breeze, breath, vapor, insubstantial, transient, futility, meaninglessness, enigma, irony, mystery, puzzle, vanity. You could, any of those sort of ideas lie behind that word, meaningless. And throughout the book, that's what's going on. And then the other phrase that's used a lot is this phrase, life under the sun. And essentially the writer's going to be saying, I've looked everywhere under the sun. And there's nothing new under the sun. There's no pleasure in the sun. You just can't make sense of life under the sun. And it's an intriguing uh, phrase. Because what I think he's talking about is this is life as we encounter it. This is life as we live it. This is life where we're wondering what's it all about. So when we start to read this, is this bloke just a pessimist and a cynical pessimist? Or is he a faithful realist? One of the things that we're going to be saying as I read the first two chapters is, one of his big problems is that he keeps remembering that one day he's going to die. Okay? Now, this is not news to any of us. <laughs> okay? But it's the one thing that for most of us is actually quite difficult to get to grips with. We live in a world around us that will say to you, from time to time, if you want to take seriously this idea that you're going to die one day, they will say, particularly as you get older, don't be so morbid. Don't be morbid. Don't be thinking like that. As though, as though the very thinking about it <laughs> brings it on. As though the idea that we mustn't think about that sort of thing because to think about it is to somehow put a dampener on everything. We live in a world that actually suggests that the purpose of life is pleasure, comfort, and security. That's actually the purpose of life. So around us, the whole way our consumer society works as a basis is that you're comfortable, that you're enjoying life, and that you're secure. And we work on a, on a, on, as a society on a basis that we're not going to die. Okay? Now, in the midst of this Bible comes a man who's willing to take that on. Is a man who is really not going to let us get away with the idea that we will find fulfillment merely in security, comfort, or happiness. And he will not allow us to begin to believe that you're not going to die. So he's kind of like, and it's, it, it, the book of Ecclesiastes therefore becomes a little bit like a slap in the face to a, 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 a culture that has been anaesthetized against the reality of life. 
And I do get that impression. It's like a slap in the face that says, wake up. And consequently, this is a man who, as a man of faith, this is not an unbelieving man, but as a man of faith is saying, I'm not afraid of, of facing up to the life as we actually see it. Not as we wish it were. Now, one of the things that people have often accused Christianity about is being an escape from real life and building castles in the air that protect you against the reality of life. And I think there is a form of religion that does that. I think there's a form of religion that actually takes us away from the reality of life and promises that everything will be fine and that you need not worry about anything and that all will be well and actually, you know, you should just smile a little harder and pray a little better and believe a little harder. And it strikes me that this is not biblical religion. It's a religion of our own making. So every now and again, you kind of need to go into a John the Baptist mode. Where parts of the Bible comes and <laughs> smacks you, and you go, ouch. <laughs> and I kind of think that if you don't go, ouch, you've not read it properly. Okay, so let's try it. All right. This may be the only time when we've had a liturgical service where the response is, ouch. Let's read from chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. I hope you've got it. Are you with me? Are, are you? Yeah? Is what I said to me sense so far. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything's meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devote myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What's twisted can't be straightened. What's lacking can't be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone else who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And so I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what's already been done? I saw that wisdom's better than folly, just as light's better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will also overtake me. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life. Because the work that's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, the chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill... But then he must leave all he owns to someone who's not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief, even at night his mind doesn't rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him... God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. But this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. <laughs> We're going to sing a song if you'd like to come to the front. And <laughs> What do you hear? What do you hear? This is, this is a question, all right? Yeah, a real question. What do you hear? What do you hear him saying? A passion. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's, this is a guy who says, I set out to find out what life's about. What else do you hear? Confusion? Okay, he's working through. What's it all about? What else do you hear? Yeah? Hear that he failed, that he didn't find what he was looking for. What else do you hear? (laughs) 
It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant line, isn't it? Like, I, I, you know, I worked really hard, or I built all my riches, but you know what? What really cheeses me off, I'm going to give it to someone else. <laughs> I don't even get to enjoy it. Anger. What else do you hear? Despair, yeah. Where am I going to find this? Where am I going to look for all of the answers here? Anything else? It's a, it's a moment where the writer throws himself in and goes, I've searched all around the world, I've looked for wisdom, and I've not, and the interesting thing is, all the time he's saying, I've not lost wisdom. It's not that I've just given up on wanting to know how to live to please God. I've actually done this knowingly. I've tested. I've gone for riches. I've gone for work. I've gone for sex. I've, I've tried just to have a good time. I've really tried hard to find out what it's all about. And I've struggled. And I've struggled. This is a book for times like this. This is a book for times like this. A couple of years ago, I read this article in The Times. It was by this man, who you probably may not realize, recognize, but his name is called Ben Okri. He's an author. doesn't matter if you've never come across him. But he wrote a long article in The Times and this is what he wrote. The crisis affecting the economy, which is what he was writing about, is a crisis of our civilization. The values that we hold dear are the very same that got us to this point. There ought to be great cries in the land, great anger. But there's a strange silence. Why? Because we're all implicated. We've drifted to this dark, unacceptable place together. We took the success of our economy as proof of the rightness of its underlying philosophy. To whom do we turn for guidance in our modern world? Teachers have had their scope limited by the prevailing fashions of education. Artists have become more appreciated for scandal than for important revelations about our lives. The church speaks with a broken voice. Politicians are more guided by polls than by vision. Anybody who claims to have something to say is immediately suspect. We must bring into society a deeper sense of the purpose of living. The unhappiness in so many lives ought to tell us that success alone is not enough. Material success has brought us to a strange spiritual and moral bankruptcy. He's not a Christian, but he is a prophet. <laughs> a man who looks and goes, do you know what? When we buy into what everybody says is the answer, we become implicated. If you want it really much simpler, much more down to earth, that's kind of like the Times. This is more like Hello magazine. Jim Carrey. 
I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Which essentially is what Ben Rokery said. <laughs> but that's like, like the Hello Magazine version. But he did write that not so long ago. And essentially what you've got in the book of Ecclesiastes is someone who says, I've tried it all. It's not for the, it's not for the want of looking. But I've struggled. But at the end of that second chapter, there's a, a glimpse of God. And it's in these verses. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives a task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. So he's, he's kind of like glimpsing and saying, well, actually there is something that is from the hand of God. And without God, how can you eat or find enjoyment? Now, this is the rule of reading the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament because we're not Jews. You're Christians. You're people who say, actually, our lives have been transformed by the revelation of God in Christ on the cross, and therefore, actually, when we're reading the Scriptures, we're reading through the lens of Jesus. And as I've been reading through Ecclesiastes and thinking through, what I've really become apparent, what's become really apparent to me is that I think the writer to Ecclesiastes would recognize Jesus, and I think Jesus knew the work of Ecclesiastes. That last sentence is obvious, but it's true. Jesus said to his disciples, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gives, gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? When Jesus came, he came into a culture that had got their own answers for what was life about. And Jesus comes into our culture and says, actually, it's not the same answer. This is why I really am nervous about any form of Christianity that says, well, you know, before you were a Christian, what you wanted to do was to become rich, comfortable, and safe. And now Jesus will give you those things. Because actually what Jesus does, he invites you into a different kingdom. And he says, if you want to follow me, you've got to come after me. You've got to be a disciple. You've got to take up a cross, and you've got to follow me. And believe me, this taking up a cross business is not, I've got a little minor irritation in my life, and that's my cross I have to bear. It's not that. That's called your husband. <laughs> not that. What he's talking about is this idea that you take up this cross that means that you die to your old way and the way of the culture around you. You lose your life. Because what will it gain? What gain will you get if you, indeed, if you got the whole of the world, if it were possible, 
that the man in Ecclesiastes was just looking in the wrong direction and he could have found it with riches, he could have found it with wisdom, he could have found it with pleasure, he could have found it with sex. And Jesus says, even if you think you can gain everything that way, what you lose, what you trade, is your soul. What you trade in for that is the bit of you that is you. We're back to Ben Okri. That our society is spiritually and morally bankrupt because what we paid for what we thought we wanted was too great. And it's easy to point the finger at other people. It's easy to point the finger at the bankers, and it's easy to point the finger at the politicians, and it's easy to point the finger at them. But it's not them, it's me. And it's you. Jesus comes and says to people who find it a struggle to find meaning in life under the sun without Christ. I'm going to put it really, in a sense, I kind of feel like I'm speaking to the wrong people. So bear with me. But, on the other hand, you will not find the meaning of life in looking for romance. You will not find the meaning of life in looking for more possessions. You will not find the meaning of life in looking for a position where other people respect you. But those three things will always be the temptation. Because that's the way we've been discipled by our culture. To say the meaning of life is if I find romance in another person, and it's, I'm not saying romance isn't a good thing, I'm saying actually that if you think that's the meaning of life, you put too much weight on a relationship and it can't bear it. And that's why people increasingly in middle age and later in life go looking away from the commitments they've made because they want to say, I've got to find it, I've got to find it, I've got to find what? I've got to find someone who makes me feel as though I've found what it's all been about. And the writer to Ecclesiastes goes, you're looking in the wrong place. Or respect. I just want people to respect me. So we, we, we protect ourselves by saying, I'm an author, don't you know? It's actually the Reverend Dr. Neil Hudson, don't you know? And all the rest of it. Because actually, I want someone to respect me. Because if, if people could just respect me, then, then I'd know what the meaning of life was. Then it'd be all there. And the writer to Ecclesiastes says, you're looking in the wrong place. And stuff. If we just had more stuff, then I'd be happy. One more purchase. <laughs> and you just... 
put in your own dot, 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 one more pair of shoes, one more CD, one more download, one more piece of clothing, one more kitchen, one more, you just put your own dot, dot, dot in, doesn't matter. One more kitchen? How many kitchens do a man do? <laughs> that was a rubbish example, that last one. Scribe that from your memory. <laughs> you didn't need to point it out, I'd already realised. Just one more bit. And, and of course, that's how advertising works. Because the way advertising works makes you un discontented with everything you already have. New, better, <laughs> will solve, all the rest of it. And what is it doing? It's saying, you've not got enough. And Jesus walks in and finishes the story that the man in Ecclesiastes began. And says this. If you really want to find the meaning of life, you've got to lose it want to gain life, lose it, let it go, and find a new life in following the one who went to the cross. The difficulty is it won't feel like you've won. But what would it gain you if you were better than the man in Ecclesiastes and you managed to gain the whole world you lost who you were. Last week, Mary was speaking about leaders not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. This is the temptation. I'm sure that what I've said today is, is fairly obvious, really, for everybody in the room. I'm fairly sure that many of you were sitting there thinking, yeah, I know that. And, um, and you do. And so it's just a reminder of what you already know. But for some of you, there will, be a, there will have been something in the midst of all of the words that God wanted just to prod. And it might make you angry, or it might make you defensive, or it might make you... It just might touch you. And there's a sense of which you need to work out what's God saying to you. For as people who are disciples on the road, he wants to lead us forward. I've searched all around the world and it's all meaningless. I've looked at life under the sun and there doesn't seem to be anything to get excited about. So where do I go now? Hear the voice of Jesus who calls you to follow him. Jesus, will you take your word by your spirit and make it live for us? Lord, may we operate not out of guilt, but out of grace. Thank you that the grace of God liberates us to follow you. Lord, may we be open to that grace. Father God, I pray for each one of us because you know our struggles. Lord, may we follow you. <coughs> Deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, rather. The temptation 
to be sucked in by a culture and all that the culture says is right. Deliver us from the evil one who lurks waiting to devour. Lord, may we be yours.